0: feel like i'm always low like reliably
1: <laughs> yeah if michael were here he would say eat the mic eat the mic eat the mic
2: which is dirty michael come on <laughs>
1: <laughs> i i get into this like monotone set and sometimes i realize that i have another voice that i can use so <laughs> if it's real low I'll, I'll like settle into that low I know the only
2: reason you do this podcast is because you're fishing for a job on NPR. (laughs) Like,
0: (laughs) I... i (laughs) uh... (laughs)
1: Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Kentucky Commons Radio Hour. Today I'm joined by John Renane, as always. Hello. And a special guest, Tommy Johns. Hello. Hi. Uh, we won't have Michael Mueller on today, unfortunately. Um, we did just get back from a trip and he's feeling a little under the weather, so he'll be back next week. Don't worry. Um, but if you want to see all our lovely faces, please... Uh, pitch into the patreon online you'll get a full video feed of everything that we're doing here and hanging out in the shop at progress homebrew supply um and if you're listening to this and have five seconds please just drop a five-star review let us know how you feel about this
2: yeah we're curious about where most of you guys are listening to this podcast so leave us a leave us a comment if you're seeing this on social media or if you're on a podcast app drop a drop a little review let us know let us know you're out there
1: yeah, some content coming out that we have is uh, we did go up to the Great Taste of the Midwest. Um, that's a major beer festival put on by the Midwestern Homebrewers and Tasters Guild. Um, was a really fantastic time. We did take a quick detour in Chicago and met up with the folks from Revolution. So we'll have a special episode debuting um, probably later this week. It'll be outside of our normal schedule, but it's a great episode. I think um, those guys were amazing to talk to and had a, a lot of insight. Um, so keep your eye out for that. That'll be a really fun episode to kind of divulge into a little bit more of the, the barrel culture that we've been talking about for some time um let's get this thing started i mean john what are we drinking
2: so well uh i think what we're going to crack since you're talking about your fantastic trip um <laughs> is some wisconsin beer and there's no more wisconsin beer than new glarus brewing company we've got the totally naked which is their pure and crisp uh beer with nothing to hide a wisconsin two-row barley malt sure's mellow and smooth body noble hops um and this is i think to style just a czech uh pilsner right yeah yeah, yeah, just to check Pilsner, which if you guys have had New Glarus, you know that this is going to be fantastic. And if you haven't, you should.
1: Yeah, New Glarus is one of those uh, unique brands. that's only distributed in Wisconsin. You can only get it there, uh, similar to like our West Six in Kentucky. So they're employee owned, also similar to West Six. And uh, they have a major presence there. And they make some really, really stand out and very consistent beers. So uh, always glad when, when anyone goes out there to get a haul and bring those back. Indeed. Um, because they are very good.
2: So before tasting notes, would you like to introduce our guest so he can give tasting notes in context?
1: (laughs) Certainly. Certainly. Uh, Tommy Johns, uh, we have the co-founder of Neon Bites. talk a little bit about Neon Bites real quick?
0: Yeah, sure. So, uh, Neon Bites we serve in a couple of different capacities throughout the food and beverage industry, primarily in the context of supporting messaging strategies for breweries, for distilleries, for restaurants, and that's in the uh, it's in the in the means both of developing a messaging strategy but also just thinking creatively about how to visualize visually communicate the work that they're doing and uh, also just developing visual content in a multimodal kind of capacity. So lots of different (laughs) formats, primarily through uh, videography. So primarily through branded documentary, as well as commercial and narrative work. And then, of course, plenty of photography and some motion graphic style kinds of communication as well.
2: I've gotten into saying like, and just I've I've seen some of y'all's work and it's fantastic. You know, people say, like, you taste with your eyes first, sure. and that's true. But, it, you know, these days, you almost kind of do taste with your, like, Instagram reels first, exactly. or your, yeah. like, <laughs> random YouTube documentary you come across first. Like, that's many people's first introduction to a brand, rather than seeing it on the shelf at a store or at a restaurant. Um, New Glarus is a great example of that, because a lot of people, they've got a reputation, and that's well-earned, uh, but they also do a good job of, like, being a Wisconsin brewery that everybody in the USA, like, pursues their product because they yep. know the story they know the brand and it seems like that's what you guys are really good at doing is just figuring out how to like take a message and put it into a digestible bite sized sure. format yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah i definitely uh try to do my best to so they're a great example of of uh, achieving exactly what you said it's funny because i've noticed uh there have been a number of times throughout the past couple of years where um, that dynamic has kind of bitten me in the ass in in <laughs> travels, uh, and what I mean by that is just it's funny to see. Sometimes you, you know you kind of uh, anticipate a great trip, and you do some research in advance of going to a place. And there have been a few times where I've gone to uh, gone to a restaurant or or an establishment of some kind. In anticipation of what I saw mm-hmm. through their social presence yeah. and, uh, you know, I guess the diplomatic way I would put it is that there was a disconnect. They were really hitting high marks on their Instagram reels, as you said, <laughs> maybe a little bit less so on the actual food products. So somebody in the uh, social media marketing Department was doing a better job than the actual developer. So production. you're saying that Big
2: Mac that I see in the like McDonald's commercials uh, that is not going to look like that? That's a uh,
0: tremendous product. That one's <laughs> always high performing. Hell yeah. yeah!
2: Yes, McDonald's lawyers. It's always perfect every time. Is
1: well, isn't it as big as it used to be? It, I don't know, man.
2: Inflation. Like, uh, D, D, what do they call the opposite of inflation? Where instead of making it, the problem more expensive, is you it's reduced the price or the it's volume. It's the
0: same size. It's just that everything else has gotten, gotten bigger. bigger. Yeah,
2: yeah. From when you were a kid getting a Happy Meal to today. Well, speaking of quality products let's do some quick tasting notes on uh totally naked from new glaris great uh, which is really just a uh way for david sadly to show off that he was in fact a great taste which we'll talk about in detail in a little bit here <laughs> i'll take it
1: you were welcome to join i know i know i know
2: <laughs> so almost i mean it's very light there's not a ton of aroma going on as there should not be in a beer of this style uh, a little bit of light hops on the nose like that little kind of husky grainy barley pilsner thing that kind of comes through from really good german pilsner malt
1: it leans into that like check pale auger yeah. category, which is not often uh, exhibited, I think.
2: Perfectly soft, smooth carb. Their water is so good up there that it, it plays perfectly with the style. Yes. That's why their uh, spotted cow is so good too, I think, just because that water lends itself so good to those styles.
0: It's really fantastic. It reminds me a lot of almost a, um, if you stretched uh, a half. Right. And, and I'm thinking kind of Weinstfana kind of family, mm-hmm. a little bit of undertones of that kind of banana profile. Um, but again, stretching that out, a kind of uh, a more diminutive version of some of those profiles. But I'm I'm a big fan of this. Yeah, that's a, like one, before. you
2: know, those ones you mentioned are like very in-your-face yep. flavors. But everything about this to me is very subtle. Yeah, it's same. just very well put together. Yep. Subtle, crushable. Yeah, very crushable. Yep. And very, I gave us small pours, but we can, uh, we can definitely kill a 12 ounce of this between <laughs> us. If you guys want a little more, I certainly do. Happy. Uh, but yeah, moving on from the tasting of the beer, um, you kind of we talked a little bit about the background of the company, uh, but kind of what kind of projects are you guys focusing on these days? You said there's a lot of beverage stuff that you guys do. We could yeah. start there or we could start with kind of anything interesting that you're doing that's new. What, sure. are, what are you excited about these or, days?
1: Or, or if you want to be concise and, and start from the yeah, beginning. Yeah, from the
0: beginning, too, yeah, how what, you got into yeah. this whole thing. You,
1: you've yeah. been doing this for some time.
0: Yeah. So, um, uh, so you, you, know, very well, a lot of, uh, my background, Mr. Satterly, but I started out in the food and beverage space. So my first job when I was young was working in a fast casual concept. I worked at Penn station when I was, was 16. My oh, great. Great steak great. and potato, okay. but a very similar yeah. idea. Great, great yeah. places. Um, so I, I, I kind of started in that world just as a professional thing. When I graduated from high school and was in college, I was I did some work um, at Humana. I kind of pursued you know the archetypal uh, you know adult job. I uh, spent a couple of years there. had a kind of moment of realizing that that was not the place for me at all. Um, found my way back into food service because of the fact that it was just where my inherent interests were. Uh, so I helped open the Silver Dollar in 2011. I nice. met a handful of really fantastic folks, a couple of people who have been really valuable mentors to me over the years. One of whom is uh, Joe Phillips, for example, at Pints and Union and Common House Hall. Um kind of grew from there into opening a couple of other places, it helped in a consulting capacity and developing some identities and some positioning, if you will. And then simultaneously over the course of that time had also been pursuing kind of informally, um, media, just digital media in general. So I grew up skateboarding and natural companion subculture of that, of course, is. You're, you know, somebody is always either filming or shooting photos 100%, of that.
2: Yeah, usually so, at the same time. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how you get those cool shots. <laughs>
0: um, so you know, kind of slowly but surely, uh, those two interest sets kind of collided. You know, the, the the video side of things always, for a lot of folks, I think, starts out as as uh, you, know, so you have a friend who needs a music video and oh, you, you've got a camera. And, yeah. Make a no less than a thousand atrocious music videos, and in somebody's basement. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. eventually they start sucking a little bit less and a little bit less, and uh, you know, long long story short, I kind of found myself in a place where. Having uh, uh, having an, an ownership position in what was Louise the ton which was that story and uh, Frankfurt avenues I kind of had uh, that kind of collided or or intersected a time frame when there was a really early push for restaurants to have their own social presence mm-hmm. and so I had a mandate then, by way of those responsibilities to kind of take the lead on that work, so that was a pretty tremendous adaptive pressure.
2: If I can ask, like, so maybe we could use Louie the Ton for an example, yeah. but like, what is your day to day, like, what is your nine to five look like on a? Yeah, obviously it's not a nine to five when yeah, you're doing no. this kind of work. But what do you do on an average day, kind of in that role? Like, uh, what are your kind of priorities? What are you focusing on? Well,
0: so then it was a lot more straightforward because that was very much that was very much a matter of I was facilitating programming for that that restaurant or that bar rather and the digital presence around it and then also because of the location and especially because at the time there was a pretty limited amount of foot traffic we had to go out of our way to create event programming to make it a destination so we were. Learning the hard way and in real time how to uh, reach and stretch, if you will. We were producing events just about every night of the week and companion content to promote around them. Mostly in house stuff? Yeah. 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 Entirely in house. So, Uh, really,
2: that it sounds like, like, obviously the basics there are just like web design, graphic design, kind of like theming of like branding and things like that. Yeah. You got it. Kind of a voice for the copywriting. Yep. Um, Do you do a lot of that yourself or is that stuff you kind of outsource to team members?
0: Um, So at that time I did all of those things uh, and you know that was really eye-opening mostly in the fact that it, it made very clear which attributes of that of that bigger scope I was able to manage myself and and which were most fitting for me to uh you know to in scaling to kind of delegate to other folks and and also just to kind of give to people who were significantly better at it than i was yeah uh so you know my day-to-day now there there is no such thing as like a normal day uh i work in a lot of different arenas at this point i work with a lot of different um, brands um And their needs and the means in which we engage with one another are pretty dramatically different across the board. So I work uh, with a lot of distilleries, for example, have relationships with a lot of brands that are strictly um, oriented to the development of content. And then I have others that are more in a consultative capacity. Uh, just last week, I just finished doing a round of cocktails for Ale 8 for some summer punches. That's cool. That was, um, you know, they they engaged me both to create the the actual menu, if you will, or the mm-hmm. co- the cocktail recipes and then also companion content to promote that. So a, a lot of times I, I like to do stuff like that. That's kind of integral to um, multiple skill sets. But depending on what a given brand needs, sometimes it's more or less comprehensive. And so, you know that that's an example of one thing I've been doing this week. Another thing I've been working on, kind of give you an idea of what the other end of the spectrum looks like, is. Uh, project for the American Lamb Board, and they are an land board lamb. So they were lamb, yeah, like, so, yeah, like, yeah, yes. right. it, yeah. I was
2: at the state fair earlier today, yeah. so it's very fresh in my mind.
0: Yeah. So uh, <laughs> sustainability messaging for them, basically okay. a national project. They're they're basically, um, tasking us to create some messaging around. How shepherding practices in that protein category are able to be sustainable from an ecological standpoint. So they've been sending us around the country to capture stories of people who are utilizing shepherding for the purpose of fire prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, for. Uh, they're, they're vineyard grazing, which basically they're sending the sheep around vineyards to mitigate the need for fossil fuel burning equipment. Uh, we went to Texas a couple weeks ago to cover a vignette on a fellow who's doing a regenerative agriculture thing then a couple of weeks, we'll go to New York to do one with uh, solar grazing. So they've got the sheep grazing around solar arrays to maximize efficiency and minimize any kind of obstruction of this. So pretty dramatically different yeah, stuff, totally. to say the least. Yeah, you, you covered
1: a lot there. Uh, so some of it, I think, I think, I think deserves a little more. Uh, silver dollar is like, you know, pretty much widely renowned in the country is one of the best bourbon bars yeah you know being in kentucky being focused on that um and then you you and i linked up at louis the ton um where i i believe our first interaction was um can i have an old fashion to which you responded by handing me a book of 120 something <laughs> old fashioned, said, which, which one do you uh, want yeah. that's <laughs> um,
2: that like elitist hipster attitude that you get at a really nice <laughs> cocktail bar <laughs>
1: Um, but but I had a choice, you know. <laughs> well, I, I will
0: say, uh, just in, in thinking about the Silver Dollar, somebody else who's been r- really influential for me has been uh, Susie Hoyt, who's been a part of the Silver Dollar from its opening. Uh, she runs the program there and uh, the the Pearl now. But mm-hmm. She and and also ran the program at El Camino when it was open. And um, my girlfriend Emily and I we both worked there as well. I've been really fortunate to, especially since we opened that initially, I've kind of gone out of my way to pursue checking out Tiki concepts or Tiki programs around anywhere that I go. And I didn't realize until retrospectively that 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 is by a landslide, the most outrageous. Cocktail concept that I've seen anywhere. <laughs> the, the what what that staff was actually doing is fucking insanity. It's it's I've never seen anywhere that has developed a training model for cocktails of that level of complexity at it's, that volume. We're talking that, like, yeah, bit, yeah, big builds or... Yeah so, yeah, so big pickups, you're talking in some cases, thir- 13 ingredient cocktails wow. or more. Cool. And, you know, there are a couple of folks, it, my, my girlfriend Emily being, being one of them, who their ability to um, execute volume with that menu, it is, I've never seen anything like that anywhere. So I've been to a couple of, you know, a number of really well respected and celebrated tiki institutions around the country. You think about the Three Dots and the Dash or Lost Lake in Chicago, Smuggler's Cove in, in uh, San Francisco. There's a handful of them, uh, maybe a little bit less. Um, less technically robust in in Europe, but still a couple of them that are pretty well celebrated. Um, And it's it's not to talk down on any of those, but they are mostly enjoying the advantage of existing in a larger market. The program that Susie had put together there from both a a technical proficiency standpoint in terms of the just precision of the profiles of those drinks, uh, as well as the training program that she put together to m- empower some of those folks. So, the people who kind of had the inherent skill set yeah. and nurtured it. Uh, I, I've, I mean, it, it was laughable to go into a couple of places. I won't to speak to anywhere in sure, particular. Sure. We'll, 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 we'll touch on one in particular, but there's a couple of places that I went where it's just like, these, these people are making one fucking drink at a time. Like, I'm losing my mind here. And some of the folks, that were working service bar at El Camino could make these outrageously complex builds five or six tens at a time, which I'm talking in some instances, some of those would be two, three cocktails each making 10, 12, 15. Uh, theoretically up to like 18 drinks at once and they're outrageously complex so
2: like almost like the henry ford of the tea industry it's like figuring out how to like take that (laughs) i I
0: honestly it's like i look back on it now and i just it it's it's mind-boggling just the perplexity of it that just doesn't feel like the calculus works yeah like that that's not real
2: Going back, going back to the like in any of your projects. And I was just thinking about this with like the either Tiki bars or even the lamb projects. Yeah. So when you get uh, when you land one of these like projects or even when you just go into a new place, if you were to start thinking about how you're going to create media, like how, how much time do you spend just kind of getting to know it and kind of figuring out what that story is? Or does that just kind of present itself to you immediately? And then how much time between that and when you start kind of figuring out how to put the, the, the pieces together into what kind of a story you want to tell? And then, how you decide to finally end up telling it?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, the answer—it might not be particularly satisfying, but it always depends. Um, you know, a lot of the times, one of the things that I've found has really been valuable for me is again the fact that I'm, I'm integrating a lot of personal interests, and so you know, I'm I am um, fortunate enough to be paying a lot of attention mm-hmm. to these things organically because because I've just find meaning in them, right? Like I I am actually naturally attracted to them. So a lot of times I'm able to kind of come into places and at least be a little bit ahead of somebody who might just come in there and is really great with taking photos or taking video, whatever it might be, you know, kind of two distinctly different skill sets being one understanding the subject matter that you're looking at the other one just the technical side of of the the actual discipline of media um so i'm i've specifically made it a point to pursue stuff and pursue work that it falls under that purview be, because i know that, that those two skill sets then lend themselves to one another right they they both benefit because i, I probably am not nearly as good, good at the photography uh, side of it as I feel like, or as I'm satisfied with at times, because it's it's probably more just I'm I have a feel for what I'm looking mm-hmm. at than. And it so it sounds to me
2: like you have more of a personal approach than like yeah, an analytical um, approach to it. It's kind of like um, the Peggy Olson version of like uh, whatever. Yeah. Like you're you're the product in some ways. It's how you're kind of feeling about it, how you're processing it. And then figuring out how to convey that information into something digestible that other people could understand as well—is that accurate?
0: Yeah, I mean, I you know the thing about it is I feel like I feel like that's kind of the case for everybody. I I may just be uh, invested in being a little bit more honest about it or more explicit about sure. it. <laughs> you know, not not that I'm saying anybody is is dishonest about it per se. So much as I, I feel like I I don't see how we can. I don't see how we can like dis disentangle or de- you know detach or decouple those things from one another. I feel like every anytime you're presenting an image, and especially anytime you're presenting a video in any way, and and even more especially anytime you're doing anything that bears semblance to the format of of documentary, whether that's branded or whether that's intended to be presented as more objective, it, it never is. You know, it's 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 always. Uh, articulated through the prism of whomever is actually holding the, the controls
1: yeah. yeah is there um you know so you, you've been doing this a while in, in in various uh spaces but is there since we're on the topic of just talking about like creative is there any like rookie mistakes like any any like uh, pitfalls to avoid for people trying to like, you know, I- I approach the space because you 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 are an entrepreneur. Don't start a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you built this. I mean, uh, along with your team. But I, yeah. I mean,
0: I think the rookie mistake is is like is. Inhabiting the the mindset that you're a rookie, right? <laughs> like I think, shut that the fuck up! Like don't let that stop you. Just you know, I think more than anything, it's it's just a matter of you know none of the the biggest rookie mistake that I can point to it in in my view is just the tendency to like fail to give ourselves credibility for you know our potential or for or for like for buying into the the myth of of uh forgetting that like none of us understand anything yeah. intuitively right like we, we as especially when we are nascent in any skill set we we have a tendency to beat ourselves up a little bit and say oh, "Well, look look at you know compare ourselves to this person or that person it's like that fucking person doesn't know that intuitively right they they just happen to have been granted access to a body of insights for which they are also not responsible uh, or they might
2: just have a really good person managing their uh, brand yeah. image. Uh, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Or, yeah. Or even worse, they actually
1: literally are a fraud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't want to fall into that, uh, Dunning Kruger. Uh, yeah. Sort of, yeah so, sure. so, so kind of, so <laughs> or if you yeah.
2: do, you might end up like president of a major corporation. So I don't know. <laughs> it goes both f- ways.
1: Failing up has always been one of my favorite concepts. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I, th- you know, I think that, that, that whole kind of notion of, uh, you know, of however you want to think about, it, however you want to characterize it, whether it's Dunning Kruger, whether it's that notion of being a fraud or being found out, um, imposter syndrome, whatever it is. You know, I think that that stuff is that stuff is both something to like, you know, kind of keep at arm's length, but also it's like it's it's a valuable thing if you can internalize it in a way that doesn't end up crippling you from. Putting another step forward, right? Yeah, you know, keep yeah. yourself humbling. If it can be a gating mechanism in that way, then it's a good thing.
1: I, I think. I think. I think. Imposter syndrome is a total plague, especially among the millennial generation. You you just have access to all of this content. Sure. It's in your face. It's a constant sh- stream. You know, you, you've heard the term like doom scrolling. Yeah, um, like <laughs> you know, heard like, the term. Like, it's, yeah. it's my life. I, I do it, <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, it's like uh, I saw something the other day, and it was just like you know we weren't meant to hear everyone's opinion about everything yeah. all the time, oh, yeah. all the time. <laughs> and uh that that imposter syndrome builds builds quickly and uh, it it it's vapid it, it comes yeah. it comes across and you like you you're talking about being like nascent and a skill and it's okay to not know that you don't fucking know because how could you know without knowing yeah. <laughs> and and we we've faced that challenge with uh, louisville ale trail with this this podcast in itself i mean i think this podcast actually started about two years ago and it was maybe closer to a year before we ever released anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we look back on those and we're like, oh my God. But, you know, just the fact that we got it started and get it, got it rolling was more important than the fact of producing a, a premium, you know, a Shit. refined product. And it just takes time. Yeah, Ra- Ray Bradbury
2: used to say, or had written, like, uh, just jump and build your wings on the way down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, a I, that's a perfect way of thinking about this, too, because I, I feel like, you know, you, you made mention of the kind of scale of the number of social points of contact that we have that are made possible by net, the networked society, right? So you have in uh, sociology, you have this notion of Dunbar's number, right? Mm-hmm. That talks about the, the kind of the number of realistic potential connections that you can kind of maintain. And that's something that's really fascinating to me because we're all kind of just kind of fumbling through the dark as a culture together, trying to figure out, well, how do we reconcile that with the dynamic of what's possible here of, of the number of people that we're exposed to on a daily basis? Not only is that the case, but we're specifically, you know the the uh, function of focus is something that we are, that is an exception, not the rule to our nature. And so when you just put us in front of a, a group of social stimulation, that's more than happy to take our attention. You know, we, we this is the natural outcome, right? We're, we're not facing anything that's mysterious. I've actually had a couple of moments over the past couple of years of being kind of horrifically crippled by this notion of like the the social panopticon and Mm -hmm. this fear of like oh fuck every time i like say anything on a social platform i i'm like terrified of like hey am i like wielding my responsibility here correctly Not, not that i have any kind of disproportionate influence but it's just literally i i am crippled by the fear of like me saying anything that is in conflict with what somebody else has internalized or what somebody else kind of identifies with and that rendering to this amorphous abstract hypothetical, somebody. Yeah. And
1: I, I think that peaks when you factor in like virality. Oh, yeah. yeah
0: absolutely. When, you, when like,
1: you're, if some drunk hot take like, goes yeah. viral, you're like, oh, shit. And then you're me. like, oh, fuck, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never enjoyed the uh, <laughs> panic of that experience. But Hey, that
2: picture of you shirtless making waffles that one time.
0: That sounds like weak. something to, you're, to I, rally that around. That. Yeah, okay, <laughs> you <remember that>? Okay. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's weird to to try to kind of make sense of hey how do I dispense of the of this tool and of the like of what is made possible by being able to just open your fucking phone and speak to essentially everybody who you have any meaningful relationship with, you know, and and trying to also, uh, you know, I I feel like there's the two extremes right. I'm always like stunned by seeing the people who are comfortable. Just, just like throwing something out there that clearly is not going to um fall consistently with how some people have <laughs> have characterized this individual. You know, you have that kind of flagrancy and I'm like, All right, I kind of I, I wish res- I could I do that, but <laughs> there's no way that that, that I, I can't like throw anything out there into a public domain that's not conscious of the fact that like hey this is going to a an obnoxiously eclectic <laughs> mixed bag of people like that some of these folks have like don't know anything about this version of me right because we're all like a thousand people yeah at, at minimum
1: I, I think this is where bitcoin unites everybody. oh god hey
0: man don't get me started
1: <laughs> no um I know but- nothing about that Doge, I will. I will bump into the show and tell segment uh, <laughs> on the pro- I'm not showing you my Bitcoin wallet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, I cannot one, see my as, a, as a, somebody
2: who's interested in in media. This is a, a quote that I am always um, puzzled by and I'd like to meditate on. Does the medium is the message mean anything to you?
0: Oh man, that's a McLuhan
2: I think. Who yeah. I can never tell if is a genius or a quack Ooh. or
0: both yeah you you know, I feel like that is it's interesting that you point to that one in particular. um I mean, yeah, i I think more so, so yeah i I spend a lot of time thinking about kind of um the metaphysics of language and philosophy and and for me, I think more so than anything that resonates with me in a linguistic capacity in general. So, you know, I think that that specifically, that is historically attributed to this notion of...
2: Like all of Wittgenstein kind of ideas?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, for, for me, specific, what I'm kind of getting at with the McLuhan thing is that a lot of... That's generally attributed to, like, him making some commentary around the way that that emerging you're not watching i love
2: lucy you're watching burger king commercials yeah like you're not watching uh the tonight show you're watching like whatever uh NBC has decided to put in your face or whatever.
0: Yeah, well and and so th- that's typically associated with this notion of kind of that emerging understanding of of PR, right? And of the like what's the Freudian, the Freud's nephew guy, his name is I forget what his name is now. Um his nephew or his protege. His nephew yeah. um his is generally his name is Of course, I'll remember like in (laughs) any second, but Edward Bernays is generally associated with the development of public relations as an area of professional expertise. But that that at its onset was it's literally was the the terminology that kind of instantiated what we now understand just as advertising. And, uh, you know, he the McLuhan quote specifically talks about that emerging. Uh, monolith of as as you said right of things like the burger king commercials right so he's specifically commenting on the ability of those commercials to wield influence that occupies our subconscious that dominates our internalization of our personal identity in a manner that is kind of hijacking our innate ability to kind of make sense of and Intuition. be the drivers of our yeah. own kind of decision making processes by leveraging social external validation
2: yeah. like in the 90s like i mean and i'm a 90s kid you guys are all kind of the same age like it's hard it, it like uh it's hard to not sometimes think about your life in terms of like a tv show like yeah. kind of like a Truman Show vibe or something like that is like, do we, how do we, t- how do we describe what our lives you are to ourselves? mean because we're just seeing ourselves on fucking screens yeah, exactly. <laughs> every, every day so how does that all How change day? in this digital world? Like our kids, do, do kids yeah. have a different notion of reality than we do? Well, yeah. We might view longer narratives being 30 minute narratives. Like if <laughs> sure. God, who knows what the hell Dostoyevsky thought about the world or like uh, whatever. But I don't know. Does the, does the. Does the medium change the psyche or does the yeah, psyche definitely, change the medium? Yeah, I mean, if
0: you frame that question in that way, I can, I, I feel absolutely, that's a, it's a big, like an indisputable yes, in my view. Uh, I agree. And I think it's interesting because it's, it's But like, they
2: create each other too. It's like the Ouroboros,
0: yeah, man. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They're definitely self-perpetuating. Um, you know, I think that the information technology, the kind of historicity of information technology is such that that's, that's not anything that's new. The rate of change within that, mm-hmm. within that dynamic is most certainly accelerated. Um, but I think that, you know, it's interesting to kind of be along for that ride. I'm really grateful for the fact that uh, social media emerged just in time for us to, at least in my view, I feel like I made a clean escape. I can't imagine Dude, me the horror of having to grow up, and, and and specifically go through the process of learning who the fuck you are. Um, yeah. I would get bummed Wait. out if nobody would chat with me on <laughs> AOL Messenger, like, after
2: school. <laughs>
0: well, but, I, I mean, imagine also, just, like, you know, I, I'm horrified by the idea of what it must be like to, to be younger at this moment in time, where if you fuck up, you're fucking Ew. up in, in a yeah. public domain, and now
1: it's uh, non-erasable, yeah. it's uh, permanent,
0: um, I'm, I'm grateful, grateful to have been able to have been a little bit more private in my youth. I, I definitely mean, needed that. I think <laughs> if
1: anyone wants to dig through my like 2007 MySpace comments,
0: they'll, they'll probably, they'll probably find something. <laughs> you want to dig through know. mine, get <laughs> fucked, don't <laughs> you dare? No, the
2: Wayback. Nobody go to Wayback Machine. Yeah. And look up uh, Yeah. I've <laughs> but, uh, legally changed
0: my name <laughs> since then, just so you know. just in case. <laughs> Good move. But the
1: but the 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 youth. Like live in these three perceptions of like their personal self their internal self and then their digital self okay yeah. and that's that's you can't really reconcile the three of those at, at a formative age and understand what you're becoming and who you are and all those things what are the three of those you said um, um for me it's the the physical what you know how you perceive to your uh you know peers around you yeah um the internal how you look at yourself reflectively and then the third being digital and how you perceive yourself online which is obviously a facade interesting so,
0: that's yeah. i've never heard that described that way before it's very I, interesting i think that that's a i think that you kind of point to something that's actually a, a, admirable or a, a positive in my view though right like i think that the domain like the digital domain as much as it is a fabrication you know, I think that it, it's also just as real as these others, which, which isn't paint painting. Like, well, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, you know, the thing, that, the thing that is important to keep in mind is that, you know, we, we are both individually and as communities at whatever strata you want to think about that, right? Whether that's, you know, we, the three of us as a community here right now. Whether that's as a city, as a nation, whatever identitarian angle you want to think about it as, right? What underpins all of that is is stories, whether mm-hmm. it's the story that we're telling ourselves about ourselves in order to reinforce our own identity, or whether it's what we're telling each other about, well, this is what this is the glue that holds that group together. That same principle, you know, I think that there's something really kind of special about the value of a a digital identity as being this opportunity to deploy reflection and to articulate an aspirational version of ourselves especially so long as we're all on the same page as recognizing that 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 is an aspirational version of ourselves right rather than oh well you know I, i think rightfully you kind of alluded to the fact that hey a lot of people run with this and pervert it and it ends up being uh, you know a a domain for misapprehension or dishonesty and and that's not something to be celebrated i don't think but you know i think that the the reflective self is is most certainly something that i think is worthy of consideration
2: it's hard not to look at that painting The Myth of Narcissus where he's like going down into the water and just like imagining somebody like looking at an <laughs> iPad of their own like TikToks or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like I don't know. It freaks Incredible. me out. Incredible. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: say you you have tried uh. to make these references on every single podcast. No, this is my this is the, my guy right here. This is, right is here. the here. first oh, time this is. Yeah, this, is <laughs> so this is great. So good. <laughs> the, the, I, I'm just going like, to give you like 10 seconds for a Jungian quote because you you always uh, translooking at an applicable one here man i don't know
2: uh I, the the thing that that would resonate with me about that is that, like we actually do like think in stories that's the yeah. thing that i was thinking about like that and i think that's more like uh what maybe adler or something than than uh the freud jungian people but like that's that's and to me that's what connects with that medium as a message thing it's like yeah. your mom and dad tell you stories growing up living in a cave and that just keeps happening and the stories change and the characters change and then that builds the archetypes and then like that's how we think like that's how we see the world that's how we interpret things like why is this a table and not a palette that our grains came in on which it's both at the same time it's a table because we're using it this way like and what is a cell phone like? What is yeah, f- I mean, Facebook? It, what is fucking? Uh, you're spot TikTok? on
0: too in terms of the the kind of headspace that I occupy a lot of the times. I mean these these things are inseparably intertwined from the work that I do. Right? It's like, you know, I, I the the corporate job that I mentioned earlier, I left that out of horror because it's at, not at, <laughs> the idea of what they this were. This is doing. a phone. You use this phone yeah. to call
2: people that owe you money and you yell at them or like whatever. And I, I you, also using
0: extraction all that yeah.
2: stuff.
1: I, I worked at that, that same place as you and I remember uh, the day that I got fired from there and I, I was all sad and I walked in and you're like, high five. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. High five, I got fired. And you're like, no, fuck that place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no,
0: no, I, I, I You know, speaking of, of language, I I remember the day that I fired myself from that place. <laughs> <laughs> I specifically, I, I made that decision and I remember deliberately giving no heads up to any of the... Um, parental people or any kind of anybody who was held that kind of place in in my life because it's like these motherfuckers are going to tell me to give them a notice. If I give these people a fucking notice, that means I set the stage for being able to crawl back to these assholes and I'm not doing are that. You sure? I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I I did learn that in their corporate lexicon they um they, they have, if you dig deeply enough, you'll find the words voluntary exit. So that was, I called Called my supervisor. I <laughs> said, "Sir, I'm gonna, de- gonna de- deploy my right to voluntary exit effective uh, an hour ago." <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, Kentucky's a right to work state. It also could be a right to exit state. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> so. Apparently, so. as long as you're not going to Indiana, <laughs> like,
2: let's keep it here in Kentucky. Um, let's let's say we that a conversation maybe just into the beverage industry and then go into no, do, no, do no, no, we have show and tell. But do any of these trends? Okay, like, let's do that first. Right, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean,
1: we talked enough. I would like to have another beer. Okay, let's do <laughs> it. There's backup
0: beers around, too, if anybody needs one. You good? Yeah, yeah I'm okay. good myself. Thank you. Uh, is that to me? Yeah, that... yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. so I... I mean, I don't brought... know what's in this. Yeah, tell us. <laughs> I see a sticker. that says and Union. I'm familiar with that. Psilocybin tea. Oh, well... No. <laughs> well <this is> <laughs> How long is this podcast? <laughs> 27 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be over in 11 minutes. Uh... <laughs> So uh, this is a shipping port, Colsh. Oh yeah, dude. And friend of the show. I brought this because, again, as I mentioned earlier, Joe Phillips is a mentor of mine, and I'm really enthusiastic. I'm starting to do some work with him again here recently. So this they just came, went into Indiana, uh, I guess this week, and I think Pints and Union and Common House are the first two accounts to have them on uh, Joe's always been uh, enthusiastic about using food and beverage as the kind of uh, modality for creating community or for a, as a conduit point for community what and is beer yeah, yeah exactly and, and exactly. shipping port
1: is a huge proponent of community as well mm-hmm. uh, getting beyond that ninth Street divide you know we've always praised them for making that a, a possibility really yeah um, uh, they had the Fraser Beer Fest two weeks ago. They hosted the after party. Um, I think they have an incredible vision of rebuilding sort of things west of the ninth. Sure. And um, on top of that, I mean, the beer is just yeah. <laughs> it's like straightforward and great. Uh,
2: and the food and the staff and the people who drink there and hang out there. Yeah. It, is, it
1: is truly community based. Um, they thrive you, on sir. that uh, via pop ups, via uh, just small batch beers that they're working on. Um some things that came out uh in the last couple of weeks was the uh wasaboli, which was a wasabi pea and jasmine tea. So uh, you like that, ager.
2: but you hate Kyle yawns, horseradish vodka. <laughs> that what I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing. I'll
1: <laughs> say the horseradish vodka was definitely a curveball. <laughs> 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 and I didn't know what it was but I I recently found out that most American wasabi is really just dyed horseradish and if you eat the real stuff you'll just snot out of your nose oh this real stuff is very hot yeah
2: yeah. so I kind of want it now it's not even like hot (laughs) it just like goes onto the back of your eyeballs and makes liquid come out I don't (laughs)
0: if my uh, Direct channel of expulsion <laughs> <laughs> clears your pineal gland. That? Yeah. Oh, no, I right. thought that was the toothpaste. There you go. <laughs> that's the <that's, that's laughs> tea That's the tea Yeah, that's what we're about to do. All right. So,
2: shipping um, port Kolsch Yeah, this that, is the, is Eddie the name Eddie. of this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah Eddie Yeah.
1: It, yeah. I, I made the mistake of asking when we had Amelia on the cast um, on the podcast. So, what's Eddie about? She's like, well, we're on the Ohio River. Do you do you not know what Eddie is? And, and I Eddie, was like, I have a yeah. I have a cousin Eddie. I mean, I don't know what you are <laughs> yeah. talking about. Is
2: that your dog? <laughs> yeah. But it's when like water yeah, channels around the, yeah the geological
0: exactly. terms yeah. yeah all right cheers oh, thank yeah. you cheers, cheers. guys yeah this
2: good. is great good beer good conversation indeed yeah and I, I
1: love that it's in indiana now um you know those two brands that you're talking about pines and union and uh, common house respectively have always uh, played a big notion to craft and import and uh, being very intentional about that um in their branding um it, it really like for a while probably still, but um, about on every Sunday we, we head over to Indiana because, you know, you do Louisville five days, six days out of the week, you sure. go to Indiana on Sundays and see what's going on there. There is a lot of stuff over there in Southern Indiana. That's really worth visiting. And uh, those are definitely
0: top two on my list. Yeah. Yeah, I agreed. Um, You know, I think so. I do, oops, sorry, I do a lot of work in uh, like at least adjacent to the development space. And I think the, round number that they kick around who knows what this number how accurate it is but at least the number that i hear often is 13 billion dollars wow. of development money in the city right now wow. um but, you know you think about what the implications are for that you look at examples bad one being nashville that has grown in a kind of offensively undesirable manner i kind
2: of agree downtown <laughs> Nashville <Natural> stresses <laughs> me out so it's great I, l- it I love to out. visit yeah. That's and then, a then,
0: I, then I also love to leave. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, there are, you know, some of the examples, places like Austin, maybe being a better example of a, a more sustainable growth mechanism. Um, Unless
1: you're talking about their power grid. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I, <laughs> or I water. I don't know
0: that there's anywhere that's a perfect. So I, I think, like, what's interesting for us right now is I, I think that looking at Southern Indiana and, you know, you've heard for years, and I'm, you know, it's not my place to comment where we are in this in this process or the degree to which it will or won't happen but thinking about the idea of southern indiana as the brooklyn of louisville yeah. is a really romantic I thought i always to like me. to
2: refer to new albany as the tijuana of louisville. Uh, i love America. that that's great that was back when the old distribution laws were more heavily enforced you fantastic could go over to Keg Liquor and you could get all the amazing beer that indiana got that we couldn't get here <laughs> it is it's, man, a, it's, incredible. it's a silo and you might have come home with Well, I'll I'll leave that there. You (laughs) might come home with a little bit more than beer.
0: You know, I think that there's a, I I think we internalize a little bit more of a kind of a, of an identitarian rift at this point, but I I suspect that with that much development money, you know, a a responsible and, and like an ideal uh, realization of, of growth looks a lot like integrating those neighborhoods mm-hmm. more readily into our communities and kind of more normalizing the idea of crossing the bridge. I, I think yeah. obviously a lot more so than folks in Manhattan for example maybe do with Brooklyn.
2: Even though the uh, the uh whatever they call it, the Big Four Walking Bridge or mm-hmm. whatever, that's been such a great way to go experience uh Jeffersonville over there.
0: Yeah, I, and absolutely. that's
2: Common House and uh there's a ton of other great restaurants and bars and boutiques and coffee shops and ice cream like and you can go walk to the waterfront and then it's like takes what 15 minutes to walk across that bridge or something yeah. like yeah. that. And then yeah. you're in downtown Jeff.
1: It's scenic. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think I've said it more than once, but like having spent some time in Austin, it's like, what's Austin like? It's like, well, if Louisville and Southern Indiana merged, that would be Austin. Yeah, <laughs> <You know>? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah for sure. But, yeah. I,
0: you know, I think that what's interesting, I think about this a lot too, is like, uh, you think about the, the Portland's and the Austin's of the world and, you know, to a lesser e- extent, but uh, arguably to some extent, Nashville also, their their maturation as cities, I think, came about kind of at the end of a very distinct developmental area from the, the macroscopic viewpoint. I don't think you look at like, for example, you look at some of these trends of actually de-urbanization that are happening. A lot of, especially after the pandemic, a lot of young professionals kind of Um, retreating back into rural settings especially as remote work makes that more viable Um, and I think that that probably has pretty profound implications for what the future of urban development and implicitly urban planning looks like so I think that you're probably, we're probably not on track to see as aggressive uh, a a kind of rush into these fledgling developing Uh, markets such as ourselves, or at least prospectively such as ourselves. You know, if we were to realize the kind of maturation that one of those markets has, I don't think it would look the same because of those changes. And I'm really enthusiastic about what that could look like, Mm -hmm. because it, in my view, sounds like it could look a lot like a very tasteful and a very a, a better version of developing as a city as opposed to just being suffocated. Yeah. We don't exactly. have to like, be
2: in a mad rush to like build build stuff or whatever. And it's the middle way. You know, you yeah. can't do you can't go the other direction or whatever. But yeah, I think Wolves on a really interesting spot as well. Like yeah. we've it, got a lot of potential.
1: And it, it, if we're being honest, there's a lot of city left. Yeah yeah exactly, yeah. yeah. exactly. 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 There, there's there's a lot, a lot like to go into. A whole
0: lot. And I feel like into.
2: the the fact that we're doing it now, we're kind of like we're getting into this new kind of uh urban environment where instead of things coming top down, things are starting to get built more grassroots. To me, it feels like. Sure. Um. So kind of giving communities like a chance to access resources to redevelop themselves instead of like being redeveloped. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know
1: our our take on at least the brewery side of things has always been like yeah there there's a lot there's more than there's ever been we're seeing you know 50 percent growth year over year but look at the places there aren't you know and it's it's all like very concentrated mm-hmm. when you when you look at a like a map it's it's right there and you're just like okay, so there's all this other yeah. space. <laughs> well, shipping tripping
2: port's a great example because, like, the, the nihilistic... That's a start, though. Yeah, exactly. You could look at that and say, oh, somebody's trying to come and put a brewery in Portland, but Amelia lives like, right there. Yeah. Like, this is Amelia's neighborhood, and that's why she wanted it, to do it there because it's like, this is my community, and I want to build this for my neighbors, and I want it to be a place I can hang out with my friends and my neighbors, and she has succeeded, like, uh, I wouldn't say beyond anyone's wildest dreams because, like, it's, it's exactly what I thought Amelia's brew would look like. Oh, and that's she's also
0: it. that in my view, always means like, Hey, that, that means in that same spirit of what you're saying, there's, there's lots of room to grow into. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, it takes that innovator, that, that vision, the entrepreneur to, to really build upon that and, and do it, you know, and do it the right way. And I think that like encompasses a lot of the conversation we have yep. about being intentional and being, um, you know, getting rid of some of those, uh, factors that stop you from your growth uh, as far as Out, like, you, when you said yeah.
2: that i just started thinking about that uh like that uh like oh whatever phraseology we were using where that like you're imposter syndrome type yeah. thing it's yeah. like it's kind of the same thing with building new businesses up it's like no you're you can start a business in your neighborhood like you really can like it's well, hard, I, I
0: also always think of building businesses as being a, a dialogue, right? And it, like you make the first move if you're if you're the the business founder or owner, but you you, you then have to interface with the community or with your, your patronage, however you, whatever that might look like for your business. And a lot of the times, what I've seen with folks who have had either direct or indirect relationship or insight to the dynamic of their business with so some people make the mistake of being kind of uh, falling uh, well they indulge in fantasy if you will yeah. right oh, their yeah. their specific vision of of their business is what they kind of try to force feed people rather than understanding recognizing yeah. hey okay so here's here's where my vision was here's what the community tells me they actually want how can i reconcile those two things a lot of people just want to oh well we got to change this or that
1: similarly my my vision for that has always been a game of chess right so you you start a pawn forward Mm -hmm. and you start that movement and then how does it counter are they are they coming Mm -hmm. directly
2: for your king queen's gambit
1: yeah is it coming out in you know if not like all right well then we'll, we'll start moving some other pieces in place and then you know and say you, you get checked every now and again, you know, you made, you made a turn. People but That, that like
2: makes that. it sound yeah. more like a uh, Machiavellian than, than <laughs> what you're trying to describe. It's not you versus the world. It's like, uh, so we taught, we said, like, the medium is the message. Here's another phrase that I think about all the time, and I don't know who said it, probably, like, Confucius or something, but the customer is always right. <laughs> how do you guys feel about Sounds that like phrase? Sounds like a Confucian one. <laughs> Fuck that. I hate that idea. Okay, but how does that not resonate with what you're just saying? The customer is always right. Oh, yeah, you're, no, sure you're coming into, you're opening a business. So, uh, so the
0: reason that I think that that doesn't resonate with, with what I was trying to get at there, right, is that, like, so... I think that the the mentality there is about strictly proceeding and conducting your business from the standpoint because this is essentially the the count point right the dichotomy of that right like the that suggests that do anything you can to make sure that you achieve maximum profitability right and i think that for everybody who's conducting who's operating their business and that's the reason that they're in business like fuck off like that's that's not right like you've you've completely you've completely missed the whole point (laughs) like to, to everything right like that's like i or alternatively i feel bad for those people because like that's how they're that's how they're spending their time like What could be more misfortunate than to feel like, you know what the whole purpose of life is, is for me to try to con whoever I interact with out of their money. Right. See, like, I, I think that's the
2: Machiavellian, like,
0: nihilistic take, too. That's exactly the thinking of the customer, is always right. Okay. Right? Let, this let supposed let me... to be this distillation of, like, a wisdom of how you go about achieving that in, in an, an expedient articulation. The way that I've tried, and I, I've just, it's
2: one of those phrases I just, like, think about because oh, it's yeah. such a, a cliche and whatnot. But to me, it's resonated because as, everything you said, I 100% agree with. It's okay. You, if You, know, you have I mean, to be able to know, know when to say, you know what? No, 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 no. You're absolutely <laughs> right. The, the the distinction I try to make is you, sometimes you will say, that is not my customer. Yeah. And yeah. that means you're not right.
0: Yeah, that's a great But if I'm going to say point. that to
2: you, that means, like, well, yeah. don't expect me to shop here again. Yeah, no, I mean, I okay. think if you're... you <laughs> But know, you shouldn't be a dick about
0: it. <laughs> and if if you have, like, in a situation where that that's an option, I, I totally agree with you then, right? Because in that scenario, then... The customer then, then the, the customer, that allows you to have that communication with the broader entity that you're interacting with and and implicitly right the way that you just framed that right if that's if that option's on the table then what it means in in my thinking is that you're occupying a space that suggests that that the customer is not this static and fixed thing it's not a it's not a target for extraction but it's actually something that is amorphous and is kind of a, a guiding point for keeping you honest and keeping you Um, not invested in the principles
2: this is wrong we're changing this like the customer's always right
0: yeah and if you can you know if you can create a scenario for yourself where where your patronage um, serves in that manner right to keep you honest and to kind of be a check on your integrity and the principles that you're hoping to embody in your in your work then yeah by all means i'm definitely a supporter of that thinking and that phrase in, in that scenario and we can so,
1: we can parallel that back to beer, right? Because yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Let's the the way there. that brewers envision their creative respect in how they brew beer and what beers they want to brew isn't necessarily the hottest style, most uh, sought after. And then there, there's this compromise of we'll we'll do this and we'll you know add whatever fruit and whatever to make sure that like this is appealing to a broader audience, but that it's not the creative vision of what you know, that, that person wants to do. And there, there is like a huge dichotomy difference of like, okay, well I can make 18 check loggers and they can all be amazing. But, uh, at the end of the day, I have 18 check loggers (laughs) and, uh, I'll I'll probably go out of business soon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Unless I, unless Unless you're (laughs) Pilsner Raquel. (laughs) (laughs) But, But there, there's a lot of, um, conflict there in just deciding, as a business, how you, how you approach those types of things and, and what you fold on and, uh, as a as a member of the nerd community you know it's always like the, the loudest majority or loudest minority and like why don't you make these barely stouts of vanilla and I'm like <laughs> why why wait once a year for this like really uh, yeah. what are you guys doing and uh then you realize that it's like the two percent of our overall sales for the entire <laughs> yeah. year and yeah. you're just like That's yeah but, but i'm important <laughs>
2: uh uh-huh.
1: <laughs> that's a hard line to walk yeah, and that comes
2: into like another one of those like cliche 80 20 rule type things Is like just knowing like what products are f- valuable to people just like sure. knowing w- and and knowing who's wasting all your time that's the flip yeah. side of the 80 20 rule is like 80 percent of your time will be taken up by 20 percent of your customers and yeah pareto uh, principle the uh Eighty percent of your profits come from twenty percent of your customers. There's some overlap there, but it's definitely not a, a matching Venn diagram or whatever.
0: Yeah, it's difficult to try to. You know, I think that's one of the things that I that I try to grapple with, and uh, admittedly, try to as frequently as possible be stubbornly defiant of is just the this kind of this notion that you that you are obliged to forfeit or forego personal identity, if Mm -hmm. you will, uh, in exchange for, you know, by one measure, profitability, but by a more charitable and by a more honest, or at least by the other side of that token, right, (laughs) for literally for uh, existential continuity, right? I was going to say for likes. (laughs) Yeah, for likes, (laughs) yeah. yeah. It's the
2: same thing. Yeah, exactly,
0: (laughs) right? It's a subsistence of likes,
2: <laughs> yeah, I completely agree, and but that te- that that resonates back with what you were saying earlier, which is like the the product is you, yeah, um, and that gets lost a lot in corporate America because you're, I mean, going. We talked about Henry Ford earlier. It's in some context, but he put the cog in the machine, and like maybe that was Eli Whitney or whatever, but like um, humans became parts uh, oh. a- at some point, and then the question is, what is the machine? And that's the story that we're all trying to figure out now. And the parts are changing very rapidly. And the uh, fucking, uh, like, owner's manual got, like, burned sometime yeah. back during the Library of Alexandria going down or something. <laughs> like, we don't have the owner's manual. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to figure Yeah, out we don't know what doing. Yeah. yeah, the battery's drained right now, especially after the last two years.
0: You know, I think I see I see a lot of folks who... Um, I feel like justifiably kind of rush to criticism of the capitalistic enterprise. And like I share a lot of the distaste for (laughs) what I think that, at least on the surface, that that represents as a philosophy. Um, But there's a really interesting interview from like early 70s it's like it's noam chomsky and Michel foucault and he's talking Mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's really really fantastic there's a section where noam chomsky is talking just about if, if it's true as i believe it is that a fundamental principle or element of human nature is this need for creative and for for creative work then then it will follow that any decent society will maximize the likelihood of uh, mitigating these forces of coercion and depression and suppression uh, that that exist as a kind of historical residue in any society, our, ours included, which is ultimately entropy, like a yeah. universe. You know, yeah, things uh, fall apart. And and I think you know that's it, it. Was really insightful to see that and to kind of you know because I've I've been I've most certainly found myself sympathizing deeply with with a lot of that those arguments. Like I said, um, and it was really refreshing in that moment to at least feel like I had to found a bit of a path to feeling a little bit less benighted and a little bit more kind of like oh i like, you know what this this feels like we're actually in the natural sequence of things mm-hmm. right to feel a little bit more kind of you know maybe at home in the universe or in the timeline if you will as opposed to just feeling so completely anachronistic and like well what the fuck are we doing here it's like actually okay yeah it makes perfect sense that an increasing share of folks out there are looking out at the contours and parameters of how sociopolitical power is distributed and they're saying well this is not fucking right right <laughs> right
2: which it's- was that was like uh, they were pivotal figures in the existential like movement too which is yeah. just like uh, existence precedes essence. You have yeah. to figure that shit out on your own, but that's somewhat—I wouldn't say nihilistic. It's somewhat—I uh, don't know. It could feel defeatist, or it could feel ultimately empowering. Yeah, that it's really all about the story that you tell yourself in your own head, which is what your company does. Yeah, and, and I don't think <laughs> that, that those things has to <laughs> pre- preclude one another well, yeah, either, right. right?
0: Like I think that they actually kind of they they coexist and they they. They, um I, I think they actually uh, critically they they like coexist by necessity not just by chance and not just because we want to say like oh well yeah that's 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 a possibility of worthy of entertaining i think it it is fundamentally an, an undeniable truth right they they have to kind of qualify one another
2: I completely agree
0: In-
1: And you brought us this beer, but you also brought us the second part of the show and tell, which is (laughs) an
2: item that is not beer. One thing beer, one thing not beer. Yeah.
1: We've done the beer,
0: which is amazing. Yeah. So, let's see. What did I bring? Okay. So, what I brought is a book called Ways of Curating by uh, Hans Ulrich Obrist. He is a Swiss uh, curator, uh, fine art curator. Really fantastic. So, again, David you know have spent you have been participant in a lot of the ways that I have kind of uh, worked to use the work that I do or have aspired to use the work that I do to promote the development of communities in various ways especially in physical spaces when when I had a little bit more of a direct relationship with Programming in some of those spaces, um, enthusiastic to probably be reprising some of that work here soon. But um, this has been a really great book for me. It's really interesting. I'm rereading it right now, and it's really fascinating to look at this guy. It, you know, on the surface, the thinking it, it renders as kind of a snooty thing. I was like, "Oh, this guy's a fucking <laughs> he's a fine art curator." Like, get yeah. this guy the hell away from me. Um, but actually, it's really really lovely. Um, it talks a lot about kind of what, what's the function of a collection and, and very much in the spirit of a lot of the conversation we've had thus far, right? You know, curation and really, you know, that can be as simple, um, you know, especially in my world as just putting one shot next to another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, any two things, whether they are uh, alike, right. Or whether they are different, you're effectively making decision to either include or parse away results in the construction of meaning. And I think that, you know, for me, that's effectively what the, the whole, the whole idea with just how you spend your time and what, what we are, What our kind of mandate in life, whoever we might be, should look like is like, hey, we have this opportunity to kind of explore this mystery individually, but also this kind of miracle of like, hey, you know what? Weirdly enough, I can just move my fucking face and your thought or my thought can be marginally or at least approximately reconstructed in your mind, brain, brain, mind system and yours. Like we can interact with each other like. And we so frequently fail to appreciate that the miracle that that is and that we get to not just explore that mystery ourselves, but also, oh, we, we, we get to do that collaboratively. And over the to, internet. Like, yeah, yeah, and over <laughs> the internet, right? And get to say like, oh, yeah, like, here's what I got over here. Like, does that check out over there? Does that make any sense? Am, yeah. I, am I out of my mind? <laughs> am I on track? You know, um, and so, yeah, curation just as as this kind of um, as this modality of thinking about things and synthesis of experience is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately and really trying to wrap my head around and trying to kind of incorporate as a kind of a meditative practice or kind of just like a, um, a practice of stewardship to to others in my life. Uh, so that that's why I brought that book. Yeah. Heck yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah. that's a great share yeah. um, never heard of that but uh, I think might might be interested in checking that out is he from Denmark?
0: he's Swiss okay never like mind. my memory serves me correctly okay. I think he's pretty like pretty well circulated on the fine art scene though yeah. it's short enough read that it, uh, it's, it's worth the roll on the dice on <laughs> find good
2: picture put them on wall <laughs> look very good yeah. make sure level yeah, yeah
0: exactly
1: <laughs> um we often like talk about like the pulse of beer in the industry um you have a specific uh knowledge in beverage space um i think i'm i'm taking a little bit away from that and noticing a couple things but um are there any specific trends in beverage that you're seeing i think uh, personally i'm thinking of um clear spirits coming back into the fold like horseradish vodka (laughs) yeah Yeah, maybe more tequila mezcal type <laughs> deal. Um, and then also Campari. I, I see it mm. everywhere now. It's sure. just like the coolest thing. But yeah. anything you would uh, see as uh, up and coming or trending as far as industry goes?
0: Well, so, I mean, just not even personal suspicion so much as just the obvious i mean you just this isn't my number to give it's just a, a matter of fact that agave is obviously uh, from a sales standpoint domestically really it, its rate of market share uh grab is is becoming outrageous really uh they're they're starting to dominate the trend the trend lines are definitely favoring agave um
2: just in terms of a fermentable or is there a pro? Is that a product? I, I
0: mean, I mean, just in terms of like mezcal and tequila okay. specifically. I'm okay. um, just yeah, using the agave as just the kind of blanket like, for like those two saying sorghum or uh, saying yeah. like whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so mezcal and tequila are really That's starting to displace, especially a lot of what the uh, American whiskey category has enjoyed over the past handful of years. You know, not that I think that the that, that enthusiasm for bourbon or four American whiskey is going to disappear or anything, but I think that uh, it, it, people are going to be really mad at me for saying this, but I, I'm sorry, but I, I personally b- b- prefer uh, tequila is my, my podcast my re- over. <laughs> sorry. podcast over. <laughs> yeah. Tequila is yeah. my spirit of preference personally. Yeah. Um, do you, any, really do, you have, like, do you have any theories about why or just like what that, what's I, going on? I don't on? think, that, you, you know, I, I, a lot of people in these, kinds of conversations I feel like the kind of de facto is to pontificate about uh, well you know it's here's the reason for this trend I think it really it is just social momentum more so than anything yeah. I don't think it's that that product in, or its denomination of origin or or the methodology behind it I don't think there's anything inherently better about that or better about a bourbon or anything you know for, for me I think that we have these beautiful pockets of uh Uh, you know culinary and distillation ethnography that the spirit categories represent and they're all equally worthy of consideration they're all beautiful they're all really they have their place um one of the things for me you know you talked about clear spirits Mm -hmm. um one of the things i'm really enthusiastic about i was just in montreal a couple weeks ago um and got to try a couple of truly fantastic gins that are very much following this kind of uh, trend in them at the moment of being of leveraging local botanicals and that idea of hyper local gins it's interesting you know i'm i'm kind of trying to wrap my head around the market mechanics of it because un- unfortunately the challenge is hey how can you make a mass market appeal for a local montreal gin so a lot of those distilleries are going to face, well, really your dominant market is going to be local and, uh, essentially, you know, your tourist market, right? Like, Oh, which for me now, anywhere where I'm going, I'm going out of my way to look for a hyper local gin. I got one in Mexico city back in November. That's a prickly pear and rose hip. I think. So gin does
2: not have to just be juniper.
0: No, no, No. not at all.
2: Okay. No, No, I I had an aloe gin. Yeah and, yeah. and that
1: that was fantastic.
0: Yeah, the, the federal standards of identity for gin, and that's domestically, I mean, it's they're they're very forgiving. You okay. can you got a lot of variation that's possible. You don't even actually have to have juniper per se. Um a lot of people will are are going to lean into it, at least using it, even if it's marginally so, because that's what the popular lexicon yeah. for gin is, right? So a lot of people are not going to recognize it as gin. If you don't have some That's degree of like it,
1: the corn mash of bourbon, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: But especially like in in you know in na- international markets, you have a lot of interesting things. One of uh, one of our buddies, Brian Downing, he worked um, worked with us at, at El Camino. Worked then after that at Copper and Kings for a little while. Worked. With Diageo on behalf of uh, Dickel and Bullet, did some distillation work through a couple of those of those um, uh, professional periods of time, and is now working on behalf of a distillery called Talking Cedar in Washington State. It's the first. I'm sure if, if you fact check me, I'm sure you could probably get this a little bit more precise. But I believe that the the language is something along the lines of it's the first distillery in the States that is fully owned by a native tribe. Oh, cool. And they have entrusted him and his background in the distillation space to help them bring That project to life and one of the first projects he's going to do is I don't know if I'm allowed to give a lot of detail about it, but it's essentially going to be there will be gin that will specifically utilize a lot of those crops, specifically what he's trying to, or well, a lot of those botanicals, native mm-hmm. botanicals, that I think really I what you're saying. and yeah. he's trying to also, interestingly enough, I really liked this play. He is looking to emphasize utilization, not just of regional botanicals, but also specifically invasive botanicals to yeah. play uh, a role in thinking about stewardship of the ecological, um, character and quality and integrity of his home.
1: You know, I wonder if there's any like cultural, <clears throat> cultural methods like associated with that. I don't, wow. just, but that that's a really the first. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an incredible project.
0: Yeah, it's super cool. And I, I can't think of anybody who would, would be more uh, deserving or fitting for that. He's he's worked really, really hard. You know, he used to tell me at Copper and Kings, you know, I'm not working here because we do things the easy way and he he most certainly uh put in some great time really really fantastic individual i'm excited to see what he does with that project
2: and that seems like a growing trend in america at least among the utes uh yeah. the utes such as ourselves yeah. uh, present company excluded at least yeah. me <laughs> david's a youngin but like i don't know people seem more interested in that than they are yeah. in uh like cheap off the shelf uh stuff these days which you know
0: yeah agreed i'm, I'm fantastic I'm, I'm really um, pleased to see that that seems to be the trend in consumer behavior as being one more towards concern for, I mean, especially, you know, in the spirit space, anytime you're talking about, Putting a toxin into your body—it's better to have a damn standard. <laughs> I mean, come on, have some respect for yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: Only good toxins with a story. That's right,
0: with a very, very good story. The most pure. Yeah, yeah. They'll they'll do some other stuff too. That's just kind of one of those, you know, kind of bootstrap projects. I, mean, I don't want to mischaracterize it for him, but you know, reliably, when you're kind of getting a distillery started, you know, you know, the protocol is kind of hey, let's Produce some of the stuff that we can produce quickly, make it possible to do some stuff. But they're already barreling like single malt American whiskeys that they'll obviously will require some maturation. So you know we won't see those for a little while. But his his kind of orientation to uh, thinking about how to innovate in this space and where opportunities are are as yet unrealized is really exciting hell yeah I think the other thing I've seen is a lot of low ABV stuff too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: <laughs> which you were uh, drinking a mountain water from Highwire earlier <laughs> about I'm drinking I have tea but the, you know it, it's marketed as a seltzer beer mix yeah. and it, it just really is refreshing um
0: yeah, great. That's a great example, too. I hadn't had that before. I'm pleased to see that there are, admittedly, a lot of the seltzers, I think, are kind of dog shit, in my opinion. Um, but Topo <laughs> just, Chico are nothing for me. You know, that's, Topo Chico is a, a truly phenomenal product. I yeah, agree yeah. there.
1: That's, that's kind of the gold standard, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, they're they're yeah, doing a good job. Yeah. Um, no we lie. actually will have a podcast soon with... Um, one of the folks that has helped uh, work some in that space. Um,
0: bring them look- over to my house.
1: <laughs> and bring them to the bar. <laughs> Will do. Um, so for Louisville News, for the next couple of weeks, um, we're going right into the Oktoberfest season. So uh, Fall City is going to have their Auto Fest. Yeah, that's, that's a, a great one. Great beer. Uh, Cam does an awesome job with that. It's very caramel forward, very approachable. Sweetness on it. Um, against the grain will also be debuting their Oktoberfest, and that should be available in cans. They have some really cool art that went along with that, and I'm excited to see that come out.
2: No one thinks about Oktoberfest in August, but you really should be thinking about Oktoberfest in August because it's just around the corner, even though it doesn't seem like it right yeah. now. But it's like almost fall, guys. It's almost fall, and it's uh,
1: over before you know it, yeah. Right. <laughs> you gotta, especially here. You got to savor those seasonals. I, I think I think last year I spent the most time drinking seasonal beers. And I'm like, holy cow. These are all great. Like, yeah. And, and then you kind of like play into the like uh, seasonality of it. And it's like, yeah, because it's, you know, 65 and it's, you know, it's, it's great. Are you saying you eat. want a pumpkin spice latte?
2: I do. I do right now. Yeah. Pumpkin spice lattes after the podcast in this nice August weather.
0: Don't. There's. There's no shame in a pumpkin spice latte. This, this
1: is not a PSA for PSLs. Ah. I'm just saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, you. You are not the people who consume <laughs> the pumpkin spice latte just because you consume the pumpkin spice latte. Okay. Don't let people ruin a fantastic experience for you.
2: I, I think I was compared to a mint up <laughs> Like I want exactly one pumpkin uh, pie latte every perfect. fall and
0: I'll enjoy it. And then Gee, I'm like, all right, coffee. <laughs> if it's extra sweet, I'll take one daily. Oh, I would that's no problem. <laughs> I, I think you and
1: I have had the same conversation about cheeseburgers, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sounds um, about right and then uh next week we got the old louisville craft beer fest that all uh those proceeds go back to the local neighborhood association it's a great time to come out uh pay cover get in taste they did in from central all, park yeah central yeah. park um come out taste beers from all over the city and um, uh, you know that that's really the well, that's our best park maybe yeah it really yeah, is yeah. if
2: you've not spent much time in central park like uh a you're surrounded by old louisville and like the part, like basically the coolest little hub of those like old Victorian buildings, which I think is still the largest Victorian neighborhood in the United States, right? I do believe so. I think that's correct. Yeah. I think so. Maybe, maybe. We're we'll going to own maybe it. On that. We're going to own it. In just Minecraft. Say definitely.
0: 100%, 100%. No question.
2: And then you've also got like the beautiful trees, the amphitheater, the little pavilion, um,
0: Old yeah. brewery,
2: Oh, And all the beer. I should have mentioned the beer too. <laughs> like a lot of good <laughs> beer at the Old Louisville Beer go. Fest. Yeah.
1: All right, Uh, I'll throw it over to John. You got anything to plug?
2: Oh, man, what should I plug this week? I want to plug this like uh, I'm not a gamer. Um, I hardly ever play video games, but I was trying to think of like, I I was trying to remember how I used to have fun when I was a kid. And uh, I found a video game that I can't remember the name of. So (laughs) I'm just going to describe it. But uh, it was on uh, that Steam thing. And you basically um, get sucked into this like ancient, uh, Roman city that like lived inside of a giant sinkhole underground and you have to kind of work with uh, the um, this isn't Pompeii no it's a no. Video, it's a video game it's all hi- it's all fictional uh, but anyway you like play with time and you have to try to save this like uh, village from destroying itself from violating the golden rule so anyway I'm not much of a gamer but I found a video game that was fun which I which is rare for me and I enjoyed so shout out to video games.
0: <laughs> Tommy. Uh when how, when does this come out? How's it going? It'll be uh, Monday. Oh, it'll be too late for for one of those. Okay, so a couple, couple would you of like things. like
2: shout out future past, present. Uh, Anything yeah, you yeah, love, yeah, go yeah, for yeah. it.
0: Uh, all right, so a couple of things coming up. So the 25th of August and the 31st of August is Feast Barbecue's 10-year anniversary. They're having parties at their Nulu and J-Town locations, respectively. Uh, very enthusiastic about that and very pleased to have them. As a part of our restaurant scene uh, they are true gems uh i don't have the exact dates for this but i know that common house will be doing a an Oktoberfest celebration which should fall in line with kind of exactly where that does in Munich's mid-september period and it should be a kind of ongoing thing oh, yeah. um i'm al- always wanted to plug weightless float center oh yes yeah. that's a good um, greg yes you can follow them on Instagram, or just go, go in there. They were the first floats in the world too. If massage, I'm not mistaken. There they, might they're the, the around only floats in there. Okay, there you go.
2: perfect. That's one hundred percent factual.
0: There's exactly one float center in this city,
1: and, and there's one that I pay membership to. Hell yeah, and it, it's weightless. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: Um, and then we have on um, with Kentucky to the World uh, let me see here I'm going to have to pull this up and make sure I have it right so on September 27th at the local seltzery, we are going to host a, um, a kind of mix and meet with cocktail specials and we're gonna do a actually you can between now and then you can actually purchase tickets to our raffle it's a bourbon raffle for a bunch of rare bottles six bottles let me see if i'll get this right it's gonna be rare bottles from Wild Turkey, Four Roses, Maker's Mark, Parker's Heritage, Fourgate, and Woodford. Fifty dollars for an entry. All or of I like the. To call it the good shit. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you want to
2: pontificate on? We didn't really pontificate on Kentucky to the world. Do you ever want to do that yeah, for five sure. minutes, real quick? Yeah. It's you're the perfect person to do that too, just because if if you can wrap yeah, up can, what Kentucky do, can, is as a product in your head. Sure. How do we pitch um, that? Because that's a lot of what our mission is as well.
0: Yeah, so so the the goal of the organization. So I'm really fortunate to work with this organization. Uh, I we can describe for, what it is too quickly. Uh, yeah. it's
2: really is it not is it a nonprofit or is so it it's yeah, a nonprofit. It's a nonprofit really just designed to kind of sh- do exactly what you do. To yeah. basically k- define to people why Kentucky is the coolest place in the entire known universe. Yeah, at least the observable part.
0: Advocate for the both the intellectual and cultural reputations of the state. The way we do that is generally by highlighting people of excellence with strong Kentucky ties. So people who have done something exceptional in their own field, Um, no particular limitations or guardrails on what that means from um, a discipline standpoint. And we, uh, a lot of the times achieve that primarily through um, actually live audience speaker series events, as well as through digital media, depending on what a given individual's story suggests, Kind of lends itself to, as well as their accessibility, of course. Um, so I, I'm really fortunate to work with that organization. These days, I kind of work as the, in a couple of different capacities, I kind of play the lead on the creative team, as well as serving as the director of strategic planning. And I am also a member of the board. Uh, we're working to grow the footprint of that organization across the state beyond having strictly kind of, uh, I guess, technical or personnel here in uh, Louisville. So we've expanded this year into Pikeville as well as into uh, Bowling Green area. We have strategic partnerships with Western Kentucky University's Innovation Campus. They're going to be uh, they are actively building a podcast booth that's branded to Kentucky to the World right now that will interface with their media programs. We're really enthusiastic about that. Um, but yeah, the, the program that we'll have on the 27th is probably going to be about as informal as programming gets with that organization. That will be uh, again, just kind of a a networking thing. Um, we're going to have a lot of our board there and then we'll do some drink specials. And that will also kind of be the formal drawing of this uh, raffle that we'll be having. We can get tickets for that through the website in the interim. It's KentuckyToTheWorld.org uh, and they're $50 per entry. All of the funding that goes to those is fundraising for the organization itself for sustainability and also to... Uh, help us to fund the, some of the initiatives that we've been working to bring to life. So all, all very, very positively and well spent money. Just made
2: me very excited to be a Kentuckian. <laughs> yeah. all, all of a sudden, oh, yeah. yeah. So and I'm glad to you, hear you. If you guys only knew how cool we were <laughs> around here. <laughs> that's basically. right. Huh, huh, Darlin', <laughs> yeah, that's like that's more Tennessee. We just we just call <laughs> people by their by their proper names. Yeah, like like David, <laughs> like David, like David. I call you Darlin' sometimes. It's only darling after the David. podcast.
1: It's fine. Um, For for me this week, um, shout out to WorldFest. It's going to be 20 years in WorldFest.
2: Speaking of like similar ideas, but (laughs) from a different standpoint.
1: A little bit uh, differently, um, but we we did engage on a very exciting project with the city. Um, We developed a global dining passport guide. Um, So going around to 30 different restaurants that were uh, ethnic or immigrant owned, uh, celebrating that globalization of Louisville. And the city is an immigrant city. Um, I think that often gets overlooked. The city has graciously devoted a department to that. And they reach out to us to, you know, kind of help tell that story with them. Um, So that will be debuting at World Fest. So if you happen to go, which you should go because it's a great time and great music, great food, great people. Um, pick up a passport and try and get your way around the city, trying out some places that you've literally never heard of because we hadn't heard of them yeah. before we <laughs> went either. <laughs> so yeah.
2: I'll, I will shout out David and Michael on this one. You guys, yeah. we we had to pick 30. That was the hardest part, honestly. It was
1: because there so <clears throat> many. I think we had I- a
2: list of like 200 and like 200 it was a lot yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and we had to winnow it down to pick 30 we wow. divided it by uh, neighborhood by cuisine and you guys did the legwork and went to these places like met the staff met the owners and more importantly took the food and took very good pictures of the food i must say david <laughs> <Yeah>. your photography <laughs> skills are uh, stellar well, and then turned this. it into a passport a la the trail but yeah
1: yeah, the, the food was really phenomenal. I think one thing that uh, stuck with me throughout the whole process was like, now I just kind of look at these like places that I drive past and I'm like, ooh. Ooh, that might be the one. The more like holding on the wall. Yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, I don't the know. more you celebrate. <laughs> and I'm um, I'm all in for it. Um, but really Louisville has a super diverse culture as far as food goes. Yeah. And um it's often overlooked. Um going to bigger cities yeah plug sing-
0: Kentucky refugee ministries on top of that. Yeah. Thank-, thank you to them 100%. for that.
1: Yeah. Um, but uh, you know that's something to look out for. Um, hopefully, we have a uh, couple of passports to go around for that, and then hopefully that develops into a little bit of bigger project.
2: Yeah, very okay, cool. Yeah.
1: But uh, thank you for joining us this yeah, evening, dude Tommy, Yeah, I this is by yeah, yeah. far
2: our most like uh, psilocybin tea based podcast uh, <laughs> to date. I think <laughs> it's just cold, guys. Mission accomplished.
1: <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. with buttons because I couldn't believe things.